This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay. So a little um, continuation on, on um, last week's share when we, um, we talked a little bit about this um, twisted parenting, this derech um, of unconditional love. And when the translation of what um, unconditional love is. So um, I mentioned my friend Avi Fishoff, who um, teaches this uh, method of twisted parenting. So I, I just want to be very clear that that he's a friend of mine and that he's a firm guy, and his intentions are very good. Intentions are very good. Good intentions. Uh, what does it say? The the road to yeah, right. It's paid with good intentions. The good intent. The good intentions are good. He's He's a firm guy. He's a good guy. He, he opened up Home Sweet Home many years ago. I was very involved in it um, with boys off the street, and, and Mamish took care of them. Just this twisting parent, this twisted parenting, which means to to you know you have to give your kids whatever they want and never to say no. And if they want to eat treif, you have to buy them the treif. That's apicarsis. I didn't say that Avi Fischoff's an apicarsis. I said that twisted parenting is apicarsis. Um, and you see it very, very much. And I, I think this is something that is definitely a, a game changer. And I need to talk about it a lot more. Um, there's a misconception. I deal with this all week. Um, there's a misconception that unconditional love means that no matter what, you give the other person whatever they want. Really, that is conditional love. And my proof is as follows. In twisted parenting, where if your child wants a tray for Frank at a Yankee game, not only you shouldn't say no, but you go and you buy them the Frank. Or if they want to do an Avera in your house, when they want to do an Avera, you, you make the room for them so that they can do the Avera. And the, and the punishment in the next world for that Avera is Chayv Kares, which means that you're actually cutting your child off from Klai Yisrael, which is pretty severe. Um, but it's unconditional love, if that's what my kid wants, right? So my proof to this is as follows. What happens if the kid comes to you at the baseball game and says, Dad, I want you to buy me an Oscar Mayer unkosher Chazer Frank with cheese on it. Now, in Twisted Parenting, you're supposed to go do that for him because that way you're going to get the kid back. Aye, what are you going to do about the Avera and the, what that Avera does in the next world? How are we going to fix that? Separate situation. But let's say that kid, after buying him the Frank, said, I hate you. Buying me the Frank didn't help. I hate you anyway. And after buying me the drugs, I still hate you. And after buying the girl her pair of pants or her shorts or whatever she wants you to buy that's not sneers, and you have to go to the store and buy it with your stomach turning and your head turning and, and, and being sick that you have to buy your own daughter a pair of pants or a pair of shorts, but that's what you have to do in twisted parenting, right? What happens if she tells you, I don't care that you bought this for me, I still hate you. Would you still do that? And the answer is, of course, not. The reason that you're, you're going against halacha and going against your morals is because you want your child to love you and to talk to you. But if you knew for sure that after doing all that, they're still not going to talk to you, you would never do it. Why would I do that? So it's on the condition that I'll buy you the chazer treif, I'll make the bed that you're going to do the avera in, I'll buy you the, dream, the jeans and I'll buy you the drugs, on the condition that by me doing that for you, you're going to like me. And you're going to talk to me. And we're going to have a relationship. That's on a condition. That's called conditional love. For if you would not talk to me after I do that, I surely would not do that. What is really unconditional love? Unconditional love means that it's not a, on any condition that I will do what's right for my child or my student even if my student doesn't like me for it. I'll give you an example that I just had. There was a girl who came to me with a boy and she made a deal with her parents that whatever Robert Wallstein says, she was going out with him for a while and she wanted to get engaged to him and the parents were not so I about the boy. So she said, whatever Robert Wallstein says, 
we're going to follow. Coming to my house thinking that for sure that Wallstein's going to be okay with this boy. During the interview with the boy, I'm not going to get into what happened. During the interview with the boy, the boy said something to me which I never, nobody ever said it to me in my life before. And I was like, if this is my daughter coming home on a date and I was meeting this boy, there is no way that I would let her marry him. Now I knew that if I'm going to tell her to break this up, because that's not why she came to me, she's going to hate me. And you know what? You can I'll close the door. I don't think anyone else is coming. If they do, they'll find us. No, it's just noisy. It's just noisy. So, so I knew that it was not a popular decision of mine to do this, and I knew that this girl will not like me. And the boy definitely will not like me. That's for sure. But at the same time, there's no way I would let my daughter marry this guy. Because I know, with that media, there's no way that this is going to work. So, I went against my feelings of, because I want to be liked. I want everyone to like me. I want her like to walk out and say, yes, this is a shame. Um, and say, wow, he's such a nice guy, and and, 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 and look what he did for me, and I, I want that. But at the same time, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to do what, what's for her anyway. So I walked into the room, and I told her, I pulled her into the room privately, and I'm like, no way. She said, what? I'm like, I have to go back to your parents and tell them, no way. She was devastated. It would have been very easy for Wallace to say, great guy, marry him. She would have been, yes. Great, Red Watson, you're the best. You made my shidduch. I'm so happy. She's not such a young kid. So it was not a popular decision. And it wasn't a decision that she was going to like me for. But when you have unconditional love for someone, it's not about, I'm giving you a decision that I know you like because I want you to like me. That's unconditional love. When the coach or the teacher or the parent even though they know the decision they're making for the kid, the kid won't like them. It's sort of like giving medicine to your little kid who spits it out, who you have to hold down when you have you have a baby and you have to give them Tylenol. Your mama should have to hold them down. They go crazy and they're screaming and they're holding their breath and they're spitting and they're looking at you with those eyes like, I can't believe you, you're doing this to me. I hate you, right? I hate you. But the bottom line is, half an hour later, there's no fever. So not always your decision in life is a popular decision. It's not always a a decision that people are going to like. Too many people in the leadership roles today are very busy wanting to be kosher for everyone. So they won't go out of their comfort zone and say something, right? I mean, if anyone knows about this, I do. Because when I got up that time and spoke about Zumba, um, and it went totally viral that Rabbi Wallstein is anti uh, everything and he got up and he called the movements animal movements and all the, 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 the what's it called the failed messiah took me and ripped me and sent that I mean forget about it I, I still have the text that I got from people you blank you this you wow people canceled me in Canada I was supposed to go speak but the Rebbitson was a Zumba teacher no way you no way you come into our school yeah Chicago Toronto and like, and like my friends were like, why, Zachariah, why? Everybody loves you. What did you have to do that for? Now there's so many people that hate you that think that, you know, you're anti-women and that you're, you know, you're a caveman. Like, why did you say that? You were going along so well. Everybody liked you. Now people don't like you anymore. And I'm like, I only care for some likes, man. I don't know what you guys are talking about. So this is not about people. What I, what I do is not to be liked by people. If it's the right thing, it's the right thing. The unconditional love to HaKadosh Baruch Hu is that I might say something that no one's going to like and they're never going to like me again. And I, 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 I told it to my wife last week. I said, you know, there's certain things I'm, I'm saying and that if everyone decides that they don't want to come to my shir anymore and they don't want to hear me anymore, I'll go sit and learn. I don't have a problem with it. I don't have a problem. I'm not... I'm not here to, to please the human beings. I'm here to please the Kurdish Baruch Hu. So I think if something's right, I'm going to say it. If I think something's wrong, I'm going to say it. 
You know, I'm going to be anti-abortion, even though there are girls who listen to me who go to colleges and they're very liberal. And from last week's share, they're very upset. Like uh, you can't be anti all abortions, and and you're not a feminist, and you're 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 a chauvinistic rabbi. And I, I lost a couple of people from last week who were like listening to me in very liberal colleges and places. They won't listen to Rabbi Walsh anymore because he blamed the Zika virus on on on, on abortion, and you know the child. Uh, you know you heard what I said last week. I'm like, okay. So you know I get these emails, and my my, my secretaries are like, oh oh no, here we go again. I'm like Baruch Hashem. Hashem, here we go again. I'm doing something that I'm not going to be liked for, but I'm doing the right thing. Where, where do you see that in the Torah? Where do you see that in the Torah? Miraglim, this is it. This is it. this whole Bamidbar is is mamish a lesson in 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 what you got to do, what is right by the Miraglim, right? So by the Miraglim, it says Vayahas Kolev. Kolev got up with Yoshua. See, it feels good in this room. We're like full. Yeah. <laughs> we have a couple of chairs here. We have a chair there. Baruch Hashem. All right, maybe we'll always give the chair here. Hey, you got three chairs over here. Let's sit in front. Don't worry. It's not like school. Yeah, we're good. So, um, so by the Miraglim, right? So you have all the Miraglim coming back, and the Jews are on fire, and like, we're not going to Israel, and, 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 and that's it. You took it. No, don't sit on the floor. Sit here, sit here, sit here. Don't sit on the floor. Now I'll sit on the floor. Now I'll sit on the floor. The floor, Chath uh, Shalom, if you're an Avo, you sit on the floor. That's why. Now I'll sit on the floor. Anyway, um, my, my father used to go crazy when I used to walk around the house in socks. Because it's brought down, you're not supposed to walk around the house in socks because an Avo walks around the house in socks. So he used to always make me put on shoes. No socks. No walking around in socks in the house. That's where it comes from. But anyway, so, so by the Miraglim, so you have 10 Miraglim, everyone's on fire, we're not going to Israel, Moshe took us out to die, by Yahash Kalev. And Kalev gets up, knowing that he's about to go against everything that these other 10 guys stood for. The Jews are already on fire and rebelling, and he gets up and says, no, it's not true what they're saying. We can do this, Hashem will help us. It's not true, the land is good, the land is beautiful, we can capture it. So what does it say? What does it say in the passage? They wanted to kill him. They wanted to kill him and Yoshua. Fantastic proof. I heard about heard it today. Fantastic proof to spiritual DNA. You ready for this? Why did Yoshua get rewarded more than Kalev? Kalev got Chevron, right? Because Kalev, when he went to Eretz Yisrael, the first thing he did is he went to the Maras Hamachpelah to Davin, right? That was the Ruach Acher. Yoshua became the leader of Klai Yisrael. So Yoshua got more than Kalev. But the two of them, in fact, Kalev was the one who got up, right, and said it's a good land. Yoshua couldn't. The reason Yoshua couldn't get up and say anything, because if Yoshua got up and said that what the spies are saying is a lie, the Jews would have said, sure, you want to go into Israel, because Moshe is going to die before he goes into Israel. You're going to become the leader. So that's why you're telling us it's good land. You're looking for your gain. So Yeshua couldn't get up because he was no Gabadava. He's going to get up and say it's a good land. The Jews are going to say, sure, you want us all to go to Israel now, and Moshe will die because everyone knew that Moshe wouldn't go into Israel, and you're going to become the leader. So he couldn't say anything. But Kalev could say something. So Kalev got up, and Kalev said, I, I'm not here to be popular. And they're going to stone me to death like, 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 like they did by the Egel. He said, but it doesn't matter. I'm standing up for a Kodesh Baruch Hu. But why did Yoshua get a bigger reward? Perfect proof. It's going to be in the book of Mitzvah Shem on spiritual DNA. You ready for this? Because it's brought down. I don't know. Someone quoted it to me today. I don't remember where he saw it. It's brought down like this. What Shevet? Where did Yoshua come from? So he came from Yosef. Yosef, one of his big sin was that he spoke Lashahara. So it was in Yoshua's genetics to speak Lashon Hara from where he came from. Yosef spoke Lashon Hara on his brothers. That was his sin. So Yoshua had that Yetzirah, and Yosef failed in that. He spoke Lashon Hara. He didn't beat it. He failed in it. So now Yoshua had in him a bigger Yetzirah to say Lashon Hara than, than, than Kalev, because Yoshua had that DNA. 
Yeshua had the DNA from Yosef. It's a proof again on DNA that because Yosef, if you think about it, so Yosef, what does that have to do with Yoshua? So many years later, and the answer is, yeah, what you do has a big effect on your children. We create spiritual DNA, just like we have physical DNA we give to our children, we give a spiritual DNA to our children. So Yoshua got up, and Kalev got up, and they didn't care what anybody else, they didn't care what anybody else thought. This week's Pasha, in this week's Pasha, we're going to see a lot, a lot by Karach, but once again, coming up in two weeks, coming up in two weeks, it's Pinchas, and Allah's been our Akoyim, Yikach Roy Machbi Yodai. Cosby, right? Cosby, and if we go, if we go, we, we take a look, this Midianite princess is doing a sin, right? They didn't help her do the sin, that's for sure. Um, at the end of Balak, Actually, in the beginning of, just as the ish, in the beginning of, B'Shem Ish Yisrael, Zimri ben Soli. He was the head of, of Shevet Shimon. And who was he messing around with? Cosby Basur, who was a princess from Midian. Now, look at the first Rashi. Now, Pinchas got up, Moshabeno was standing there, he didn't say anything. So Moshe Rabbeinu was married to Midianus. He was married to Tzipporah. So he couldn't give them Musr about a Midianus because he was married to a Midianus. Aaron also couldn't say anything. So Pinchas, what did the Shvatim do, right? They were making fun of him. Look at this guy. He comes from Yisro. Who used to stuff animals to bring them for Abaydazara, Baharak Nasi Shavim Yisrael? And and he had the chutzpah to go and kill a Nasi of Yisrael? So Pinchas wasn't worried about what the Jews, the Jews were making fun of him. You're a nobody, you come from Abaydazara. Who do you think you are to do what you did? And not only that, the Medrash says that they try to kill him. Shavit Shimon. Wanted to kill him. Hashem had to make a crazy miracle. But they weren't able to kill him. Pinchas stood up for Hashem. That's unconditional love. It's not about, I want you to like me. I don't care if you like me or you don't like me. I have to do what's right. And because of that, he became Elio Anavi. Pinchas became Elio Anavi. Elio Anavi lives forever. Because he stood up for Hashem. Because it wasn't about being popular and being Loved. It's not unconditional love. Sometimes people are not going to like you when you tell them to do the right thing. Conditional love is, yes, I always want everyone to like me, so I'm going to say on the condition that you like me, I'll say what you want to hear. Sometimes we make very tough decisions in life that we have to make, and sometimes it's not a popular decision. But if you really care about someone... You're going to do it. It's in the physical world. It's in the emotional world. It's, it's in the sporting sport world. I had a coach who pushed me very hard. Um, when, you, when, you, when you exercise, if you have a personal trainer, they push you very, very hard, way past what you think you could do. And the famous words is, I can't, I can't anymore. I can't do this anymore. And they're like, well, you have to. Then they push you. And at the end of the day, you feel great. You're in shape. And you, you, you feel good, but while they're pushing you, it hurts. So, you know, like, they, they have these, um, my, my, I have a daughter that's OT, but they have P, you go for PT, right, which is physical therapy. The worst physical therapist in the world is the person who's nice. Because you have to push that patient who doesn't want to move their leg, who doesn't want to get out of bed, who doesn't want to stand on that foot that's killing them, and you have to make them get up. Because if you're going to just listen to what they have to say, I'll come back tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I can't do it today. It really hurts. I'm so tired. I had a bad night. And like, I don't care what kind of night you had. You're getting out of your bed. No, please, please. Okay, okay. I care about you. Just, just lay there. Just lay there for another day, another month. person doesn't think it's better. So the real good PT is a slave driver. Is a is a is a is a is a, is a whipping master. It's like you got to get up. And they and they. I remember when I had my knee surgery, 
So I had the real knee surgery. This is, I'm talking. I'm going back forty more than forty years. So I had the knee surgery where they they didn't have arthroscopic. They opened up your knee like a sardine can. And I remember that after I had my knee surgery, so I very 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 much wanted to play ball, but the doctor told me I wouldn't be able to play ball for nine months. And it, the knee surgery was three months before the summer. And I wanted to play in camp. I wanted to play hockey and I wanted to play basketball. And I remember that my foot was so swollen because it was cartilage and ligament, whatever. And the doctor said to me, listen, there's no way I'm going to let you play ball in three months. He said, the only thing I can tell you is if you do this exercise called quad exercise where you, you sit on a table and you put a weight on the bottom of your foot and you have to lift it up and you build your quads, which is your thigh. If you build that muscle very, very big, that it holds your knee. In other words, there's no pressure on your knee. So if you do your quads like a Meshuggah, right? We'll see. So I was still in yeshiva at the time, and I remember going out of class every hour for 20 minutes, going sitting on a table, and I had my weights, and I wanted to play ball. And it hurt, because you weren't supposed to do more than five pounds at the bottom of your foot. After a week, I had like 15, 20 pounds on there, because I wanted to play ball, and it hurt so much. And three months after I did my exercises, I went to the doctor, Dr. Rothschild, Oliver Shalom, I remember. And I'm in his office, and he says, okay, you want to play ball? We're going to test you. Like, there's no way. Your foot could be, that, could be strong enough. And the way they do it is, you sit on the side of the, of the bed or whatever it is, and they, they put their hand under your thigh, and then they take your ankle, and they try to bend your foot down, and you're supposed to fight it. Right? And that's how you know if, you, if your knee can handle it. I lifted him off the floor. <laughs> he pushed down on my ankle. He could not bend my knee until he got off the floor. And he's like, Wow. So, because I pushed myself, I played ball that whole summer. So it was unconditional love pushing the person or saying, listen, it'll take a year like everybody else. You push, you push. If you love somebody, if you, I loved myself because I wanted to play ball. So I pushed myself very, 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 very hard. And um, it was interesting because it wasn't so good. Because what happened is I built up one side, but I didn't build up my other foot. So that's very dangerous to have a very strong foot and not such an other strong. So when I was in camp, I started doing the, the other foot. I started doing the other foot like a Mishagana. I was focused. I wanted to do it. It hurts. It hurts. Any exercise, any PT, any OT, it hurts. And the person's like, I can't do it anymore. They're like, just one more. Just one more. Whenever I have, I have someone that sometimes stretches me. You can hear me, you can hear me from, from here to Staten Island. It hurts when you get stretched. And he's like, Okay, okay, I'm, I'm just going to do it two more times. I'm like, you're not doing it anymore. He's like, you got to do it two more times. And, and then when you get off the table, you, you, you feel like a different person. So, so conditional love means, no, 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 you know, I just want you to, you know, to love. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Unconditional love, it, again, you can't break the person either. So, so yes, I'm not saying that you, you, you shouldn't give your kid to eat. Yeah, you should take your kid out for pizza or to, I don't care, take him to reserve cut. But don't buy them chazer treif. Don't buy them chazer treif. Buy them, and it has to start young. Give them the love. A lot of people have the, a lot of people make the mistake, and I'm dealing with this already for years. Once you, once you don't give your child the time that they need when they're young, and then, and then they start to go off the derech, or they start to fight you, and now all of a sudden, because they're off the derech, you start to give them time. What their friends on the street are telling them is that, oh sure, now your parents, now your parents, I love you. Now your parents are buying you things. Now your parents want to take you out to eat. Now your father wants to fly with you to Israel. Right? You know why? Because it's not about you. It's about the religion. Because now you stepped out of the religion. He wants you back to the religion. Because it was about you. How come you didn't do this ten years ago? Five years ago. You were the same person five years ago. So now you're not from. Oh, they want to buy you everything and take you everywhere so that you become from. It's not about you. It's about from guy. And Baharaya, what's the proof? If it was about you, why did they do it when you were 10 years old? So everyone wakes up when the kids are off the derech. When the kids are off the derech, they're like, I know why you're being nice to me. You want me to put my yarmulke on. I know why you're being nice to me. You want me to wear a long skirt. So it's not about me. You don't love me. You love my skirt. That's what the other side, that's what footsteps, that's what the street tells all the kids. It's too late. And they may be a little bit right. Why all of a sudden now you woke up? Oh, she took a yarmulke. So kids are getting smart. If I, if I, if I wear a short skirt... Right? And I stopped not keeping Shabbos. All of a sudden, I start getting things. My parents will buy me anything. They'll take me anywhere. 
So why shouldn't I do that? So the good kids are not getting anything, and the other kids are getting everything. The whole thing's blowing up in our face. It's not working. So what from my share last week, one of the people that's in Twisted Parenting came over to me and said, Right, Wallstein, first of all, how could you say how can you see what you say? I know some people that worked. So first of all, you don't have long term there's some stuff that works right away, but long term, long term, what does this person become? What did they become? That's number one. I said number two, in any experiment, any experiment is a placebo. They give ten people a placebo, which is fake, and they give ten people the medicine, which is real, right? And sometimes the ten people with the placebo, they get better. Does that mean that the medicine works? No. But I saw something, I saw something very, very, very scary. Wow, big crowd tonight. Hashem. I think we have to stay in a small room. We have, we have a chair. We have a chair in the corner. Right? No, don't don't stand in the back. Right here. Right is a chair. There's two. There's two chairs here. Have a seat. Have a seat. Whoever's watching this thinks that the whole room downstairs is full. Okay, we don't have to tell them. There's a chair right here. There's a chair right here. So, so I saw something very scary after I spoke to that parent, and it's in a kavayasha. And I don't know if I should say it. It's very Kabbalistic, but it's also very scary. So the Kava Yosha says the following. So sometimes you're struggling with an Avera, you're struggling with a sin, and you really, you can't beat it. You know, you, the phones on Shabbos or movies, whatever it is that you're struggling with. And you just, you just it's just like a diet. You just, you know, you start on Monday and you finish... And Tuesday, you already broke the diet, right? And you just keep trying and you keep trying. But all of a sudden, the Avera doesn't bother you anymore. And you don't, you're, not, you're like, wow, I'm good for a week. I'm good for two weeks. I'm good for a month. I'm good for three months. I'm good for six months. I beat it. And then you relapse. So what's really, really going on here? Okay, now we got to bring some more chairs in. Um, sorry about that. There, there are chairs downstairs. Just bring up two chairs. Bring up two chairs. Don't leave. Just bring up two chairs. Okay. So, so, what? I don't. I don't. I didn't see any chairs in the hallway. I don't think so. They'll bring them up. Anyway, listen to what the Kavayashi says. It's crazy. He says that the Satan doesn't live off Averis. We know that, right? Avera is a cold, dark thing. It doesn't give life to the dark side. It's dead. It has no energy. has no energy in it. It's zero energy. A mitzvah is like a fire, a flame, a energy, like a battery. So if a person is always doing Averis, 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 the Satan can't get anything from them. So he backs off like a spider. He backs off. He's like, no, no, do tshuva, go to Israel, learn Torah, beat sneers, keep Shabbos. And you're like, wow! I'm a new person. I flipped. I'm doing great. Not realizing that the spider who leaves the, who leaves the, after he sucks a little blood out of the fly, he leaves the fly, the fly thinking, oh my gosh, I might be stuck in the web, but I'm going to live. Not realizing that he's regurgitating the blood. Yeah, he gets it. Oh, yeah, whatever. It's okay. You got your picture now. There's going to be a million people who can get it shut off by next week. <laughs> Who's that girl that was in the camera? Okay. So, so this is what he said. This is what this is what the this is what the Kavayosha says. Kavayosha says. Then he comes back, and you relapse, and he takes all the kedusha that you got. It's like whoa! You hear what's going on here? He lets you go, and all of a sudden you're like, wow! I got this thing beat. And he waits, and he lets you build up your kedusha, and then he comes and you relapse, and he takes it all. So a person needs to know that even when you have it, and I. I it's an addiction, the same thing. When a person, you know, the, the rate of, 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 of relapse and addiction coming from a rehab, most of them is 80 to 85% relapse. And then the next time, the way they look at success is how much time between relapses. You know, the first time the drug addict relapsed after 30 days, the next time after 90 days, the next time after a year, the next time after two years, and that's success. So, so, so the, the, don't think because you all of a sudden feel like, wow, I, I got this thing beat. Be careful. It could be a trap. 
So be careful that he might come back. And it might become a struggle again. That's... So when you have a situation like twisted parenting, and the Sata knows that if five parents are going to be successful and get up and talk about their success, he's going to get 500 more to give their kids chazer or to make or buy their kids drugs, whatever it is. He'll sacrifice... He'll make sure that five of those kids become from. Because then everyone can say, look, it works. Oh, then I'm going to do it too. Here's a Frank. Here's some Chazer. So he's a master planner. So that five kids became from from this doesn't prove anything whatsoever. We don't know if they would have become from anyway or not anyway. He's a Kamiyosha. But definitely... When you when you bring when you when you're a machti when you bring someone to do an avera, so 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 my proof and this is what I told this parent. I said, let me tell you something. Moshe Rabbeinu was very holy. He was born. He needed to nurse. He was put in the Nile River. He was taken out of the Nile River. He was crying. He was hungry. He needed to nurse. So it says that Batya, right, the daughter of Paro had Egyptian nursemaids. And they tried to nurse Moshe Rabbeinu. And he wouldn't take. And that's when Miriam jumped up and said, oh, uh, he's a Jew, I can get you a Jewish nurse. And he ended up getting, she ended up bringing her mother, and, her, and, and Moshe's mother was the one who ended up nursing him. But the Medjur says that the first one that tried to nurse him, one drop of milk went into his mouth and landed on Moshe Rabbeinu's tongue. And because of that, Hashem had to burn his tongue. The spot that the milk landed on had to be burnt out of his mouth because a mouth that speaks Torah can't have the tummy milk of a guy. So the reason, because again, listen carefully, the reason that it's brought down in Chazal is the whole test of Paro to see if Moshe Rabbeinu was the next king, they put hot coals in front of him. Right? Hot coals and a gold crown. And any kid would have gone for the gold crown. Why would he go for the hot coals? It's hot. And the, he was going for the gold crown, and the Malach put his hand in the coals. That should have been enough. Had he put his hand in the coals and burnt his hand, Pyro would have realized he put his hand in the coals instead of going for the, the stupid kid. He put his hand in the coal, he burnt himself instead of going for the crown. Why did he have to put his hand in his mouth? Why did he have to burn his tongue and his lips? Says Chazal, because it was a drop of a Goyesha nurse's milk in his mouth that was Bishoike. He was a baby. He didn't have anything else to eat. He didn't do it on purpose. He wasn't a Gadol. He wasn't a Bar Mitzvah. He was a baby. No. It has to be burnt out. We see what Tame, what Treif does to a person on that level. So even if it's the right thing, and there's a huge pilpul, I don't know how to say pilpul in English, huge rabbis talk about very huge discussion, very deep, and, and there's two sides to the discussion, that if someone is dying, and you have to save them with unkosher food, so you give them pig, right? So the pig doesn't become kosher. The pig's not kosher. He's dying, so he needs the food. So the pig becomes allowed to him. If he bites into it, you can't bite into it, right? So does that pig still metamte mesalev? When that goes into his body, does it still have an effect on his kedusha? Because it's still pig. He's allowed to have it because he's going to die otherwise. But it's still pig. And a lot of the rabbis hold that it's still pig. And it still has an effect on the person. Yes, you saved his life, but he's got to work on getting that chazer out of his neshama. So even in twisted parenting, if you're going to tell me that it's going to save their life, so has a crazy effect on them. So if there's any other way not to use that, because it has an effect on the person, right? It's the same thing about Shabbos. Is a Hatzolim member not Mechalo Shabbos? Or is a Hatzolim member Mechalo Shabbos with a heter? 
Is he not Mechal Shabbos? Is there no Chil Shabbos when he gets into his car? Or it's Chil Shabbos, but you're allowed to be Mechal Shabbos to save someone's life. It doesn't say anywhere that you're not Mechal Shabbos if you save someone's life with the Chil Shabbos. It says you're allowed to be Mechal Shabbos to save someone's life. But it doesn't say that it's not a Chil Shabbos. And therefore you have to be very careful if you're out solo memory, you have to be very careful to do as least chilul as you can. Because in the end of the day, you be mechal Shabbos with a heter. It's again, it's, there's two sides to it. It talks about brismila, about doing a brismila. Brismila is doicha Shabbos. What does that mean? It pushes away Shabbos. Because a brismila, you're cutting and you're causing bleeding. So you wouldn't be able to do that unless it's a brismila. But a brismila, so the question is, is a brismila... Right, doicha Shabbos. It's not chul. It pushes away the Shabbos. What exactly that means? It's, it's a pill pusher. It's not for tonight. I'm just saying. So, so everything, everything has an effect. But this parent said to me something else, and I think I need to clarify. This is very, very important. He said to me, "I'll prove to you. I'll prove to you that twisted parenting is correct." Okay. He says, "From Pashas Bereshis." In Pashas Bereshis. Adam and Chava ate from the tree because they ate from the tree. They realized they were undressed because they were undressed. By Hashem said, "How do you know you're not dressed? I mean, I ate the Did you eat from the tree? Right? And then at the end, it says right before Ravi, Vayas Hashem Adam Hashem went ahead with his own hands and made them clothing. Ah! Unconditional love. They ate from the tree, which caused them not to, have any, not to realize that they're not wearing clothing. And Hashem, who they sinned against, he loved them so much, he made them the clothing. Twisted parenting. <laughs> Twisted parenting. Look. Hashem loved them, so he gave them the clothing, even though the reason they needed the clothing was because they sinned. I said, I, I hate to tell you, but you didn't listen to my share on this. He said, number one, Hashem threw them out of Gan Eden. If you want to really get down to it, He threw them out of the house. They were living in Gan Eden. Life was great. They did something they weren't supposed to. Hashem said, goodbye, and you're never coming back. And He put two angels at the gate of of Gan Eden, and he took a sword and he turned it over, right? The Cherav Peches, and he said, "No human being is ever coming back here." So, number one, God wasn't twisted parenting; He threw them out of the house, and He never let them back. That's number one. Number two, He told her that every single month you're going to have pain, and when you give birth to children, you're going to have pain, and your husband is going to be your boss, and Adam, you are going to work. With your, with, your, with your hands and your feet and you're going to work with the sweat of your brow and you're both going to die. Now, if God really loved us unconditionally, he should have said, oh, you ate from the tree? Okay. I forgive you. You can live forever. Come back to Ganeiden. Let me make you a nice house. And don't you have to ever work. And the woman should just give birth without any pain. God didn't create a world like that. God created a world with consequence. It's not punishment. There's a consequence. You lived in Gan Eden. You did not have to work. Everything was done for you. As long as you didn't eat from the Eitz Hadas, there was no consequence. There was no reason for you to ever go work. Imagine, we would be sitting now, we'd be just learning and enjoying the world, and there'd be peace in the world, everything would be great. But when you ate from the Eitz Hadas, you cracked the, 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 the foundation of the world. And because you did what you did, you cannot live in Ganeiden. You cannot live in Ganeiden. It's not a place for the person that you are now to live anymore. It's for the person that I created, but not the person that I, that I was now. And you were in a place that you didn't have to work in Ganeiden. But now that you did what you did, you have to work. Every man has to go to work. Hashem did not say, no, don't worry, I'll, I'll take care of everything. Because in a world of consequence, the way that Hashem created the physical and spiritual world, every action has a reaction. The first thing you learn, the first lesson that you learn in physics is every action has a reaction. So 
Just like in the physical world, you can get a chair from downstairs. And you can sit here. So every action has reactions. The first thing you learn in physics. What does that mean? A punishment? Is that a punishment? It's not a punishment. Every action has a reaction. So in the physical world, every action has a reaction. In the spiritual world, every action has a reaction. You ate from the Eitz Hadas, the reaction to that is you cannot be in Gan Eden. You have to work. In Gan Eden, you did not have to work. Everything was there for you. Once you're out of Gan Eden, the consequence of living out of Gan Eden is you have to plant. In Gan Eden, you don't have to plant, but now you're not there anymore. So the consequence is that, that, that you're in the North Pole, you gotta put on, you gotta put on a coat. That's the consequence. It's not a punishment. And when it's cold outside, you have to put on gloves and a scarf and a hat. No one's punishing you. It's the consequence of in the winter when you walk out. That's, you have to wear it. You have to wear it. You have to wear warm clothing. So because Baruch Hu didn't change the consequence here. The consequence is you did what you did. No, he never backed off Hashem. He said when Mashiach comes, when you earn your way back into Ghana, then when Mashiach comes and you earn it, it's not a freebie. Either the world will be destroyed or you'll earn to get or you'll, you'll earn to get Mashiach. When you earn it, then you'll come back to Ghanaian. But until then, you're out. Out. That means Hashem hates us? It means he's not as good a parent as a person who's doing twisted parenting? You're better than God? No, just the opposite. Without consequence, there's no growth. There's no growth. It doesn't work that way. When you enable someone, you are hurting them. You are not helping them. It is just the opposite. These children grow up and expect everyone to do everything for them. And when they have to do something for themselves, they have no idea how to. That's terrible. That's evil. Not giving a person the ability to live their life and make decisions and grow. To enable them and to carry them the whole time. If you carry your child the whole time and you never put him down, he will never walk. Are you a good parent? You're an evil parent. You're an abusive parent that you never allowed that child to walk. And now the kid's going to crawl for the rest of his life because you held him your whole, the whole time. That's not a good parent. That's enabling. Hashem doesn't enable. He doesn't enable. I spent a whole Shabbos this Shabbos. Because of last week's share, there were things that bothered me. I spent a whole week learning, a whole Shabbos, and after actually my share... Hours and hours and hours in Rav Chaim Vital in Seifel Gilgulim. Because we spoke a lot about Gilgulim. This, is the, this week's parish is the biggest week in Gilgulim. I'll, I'll end up with, with the big Gilgul that happened this week. But in Seifel Gilgulim, it's very hard to understand that a person has to come back here and, and work again and fix again and fixing and working and, 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 and you know, Gehenim is not even mentioned in the whole Torah. But there is a place called Gehenim. And, and, and it's, I don't want my God to be an evil God. And I don't want him to be punishing every time you do something wrong that he throws you into a fire. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. My child I would never throw into a fire. And we're his children. So I spent a whole Shabbos deep, deep in Seifu Gugulim and deep, deep in Rav Chaim Vital. And I came out with an understanding. First of all, it's very interesting that I guess until this generation or maybe a little bit before it, Seifu Gugulim says that men come back in Gilgal, but most women don't. Most women clean up in the other world. They don't have to come back here. Only if they messed men up in this world, then they got to come back in the same situation, whatever it is. And the reason that men come back in Gilgal, this is from Rafael Vital, is because men learn Torah. And the Gehenim, the fires of Gehenim, cannot affect a, a soul that learned Torah. So therefore, there's no other way to clean them up. Being that the fire in Gehenim cannot penetrate the, the shell of Torah that's, that's around the person's neshama so they can't clean them up in Shemayim. So they have to send them back here to clean them up. So that's why men have much more Gilgal than women. But now that women learn, maybe that's... Now they're... they're, they're I don't know. No, it could be, really. And since they learn Torah, so it could be that they also have to come back and Gilgal. I don't know. It doesn't say anything about... Because it's a mitzvah to learn Torah, but I think... Maybe, maybe. But anyway, that's not the point. My, so I'm, I'm learning this, and I'm thinking to myself, what's going on over here? And I'm going to give you a beautiful Torah. And what does the Torah say about Gehenna? If... If God's not an enabler, just tell us what's going on. I don't want to find out after 120 years that there's a, there's a Gehenim, that, that, that I'm going to go through all this. Tell me now. Maybe I'll be a good boy. <laughs> right? Warn me now. Talk about everything else. Bezdin, Skila, Herek, Chenek. Talk about everything else. Tell me. You don't behave. You're going to burn. Not one word in the whole Torah. Not one word. Never talks about it. Why not? Never says the word Gehenim. Here's the Teretz. 
I'm going to give you a muscle, a parable. So this guy is going to a huge wedding. It's the biggest wedding. It's the fanciest wedding. It's the richest people. You're talking about Lamborghinis and the most beautiful cars. It's in Miami. And all the big shots and all the rich people are coming to this wedding. And everyone's dressed to kill. Silk suits. The most expensive Armani, Canali, most embossed, the most expensive suits and shoes. It's like the, the wedding of the century. And this guy comes to his closet and he's going to the wedding. And this guy's coming to this closet, and the suits are talking. Okay, listen to this perfect muscle. And the suits are all talking to each other. And every suit says, I want to go to the wedding. Right? Every suit, what? I'm nicer than you. I'm nicer than you. I'm double breasted. I'm, I'm black on black. I'm that. Each suit wants to go to the wedding. And there's this one suit. And he's looking two days before the wedding, he's looking through his suits and he's trying to decide which suit he should wear. And they're all fighting. Each suit wants to go to the wedding. What happened? His favorite suit, he had worn the Shabbos before. And he was out of Kiddush. And someone dropped some chulin from his plate on his suit. And he was full of chulin stains. (laughs) And he looks at the suit and he says... Oh, I would love to wear this suit, but it's full of stains. And all the other suits are like, yeah! So he's going to pick one of us. And the suit that wants to be chosen is saying, why don't you just take me to the cleaners? <laughs> take me to the cleaners. But of course he can't have the suit. And he's looking at it, and he's looking at his other suits. He's like, you know what? I really like this suit. I just bought a tie for it. I'm going to take it to the cleaners. And the other suits are like, no! No, don't let him go to the cleaners. Go to the cleaners. He's definitely going to wear that suit. Now, takes the suit to the cleaners. And I don't know if you ever know what it goes on in a suit in the dry cleaners. They spray it with chemicals. And they put it into this dry cleaning machine. And it goes and it tumbles for like half an hour. And then it comes out. And then they hot press it. And these hot pressers, right? And then they put it in a plastic. Is the suit being punished? The suit's being prepared so that it can come to this beautiful wedding with all the other suits. The suit's being prepared so it can be chosen. How happy is that suit the day he puts the suit on? How happy is the suit that it went to the cleaners? Now, when you buy that suit, does a salesman talk about the cleaners? There's a little tag in my suit somewhere here besides my shotness tag. If you pull open the you pull open your pocket, here it is. There's a little tag inside the suit that you don't even see that says dry clean only. Because the dry cleaning has nothing to do with the suit. It's not important. The dry cleaning is only if the suit gets dirty. If the suit doesn't get dirty, you don't need to dry clean it. So when you go to a store, when I, when a man buys a suit, he doesn't ask them. Uh, is it dry clean only? Suits are dry clean only, right? There has to be a tag in there. Dry clean only. But that has nothing to do with the suit. That's why the suit gets dirty. So when you buy a suit, you want to know how much wool is it? Whose, whose material is it? What's designer name? What does the cut look like? But the cleaners? That doesn't come into play. The Tyra is about the suit. The 613 mitzvahs, and to live like a Jew, is talking about the suit. Gehenna has no place here. Gehenna is the cleaners. The cleaners has nothing to do with the suit. The cleaners cleans the suit, but it's not the suit. It has nothing to do with the suit. It just cleans the suit so you can wear it, but it's not the suit. That's it. The same thing with Gehenna. The reason the Torah doesn't talk about hell, about Gehenna, because it has nothing to do with you. If you come to Shemayim, and the suit is dirty, which is your soul, right? So they got to put the suit in the dry cleaners so that the suit can come out clean so it can be with all the other beautiful suits in Ganeiden. But it's not the suit. It's the dry cleaners. Therefore, it has no place in Torah Shabbat Hashem is not talking about the cleaners. If you get your suit dirty, it'll go to the cleaners. If you don't get your suit dirty, you don't got to go to the cleaners. 
the suit is clean, you can wear it again, and you can wear it again, you can wear it again. You've got to go to the dry cleaners. Just, I'll tell you the truth. I'll tell you the truth. One of the things we know as men, the more you put your suit or your dress in the dry cleaners, the more it gets ruined. A, a, a dress or a suit can only be a certain amount of time before it gets rubbed out totally. Because the chemicals, the strings, and, the, and, and start to kill the suit. And the pressing starts to kill the suit. So it, it just cleans the suit, and that's it. And you can't keep getting it dirty. If you keep getting it dirty, all of a sudden it's going to start to affect the suit. Right? So, so that, that is what Gehenna is. Gehenna is not a punishment. Gehenna is a dry cleaners. When you, I went this morning, I was like, I was, cause I gave the shill last night and I, I had my bag of dry cleaning and I, I gave it to the dry cleaner. I'm like, you won't believe it. I gave a whole class on this last night. He's like, really? You know, what'd you say? I'm like, no, it's not. He's a Chinese guy. I'm like, it's not, it's not really that important. I'm not going to really get into it, whatever it is. Start telling him a suit is a person in the show. He's going to think I'm not in my mind. Right? Whatever it is. But it wasn't, but I didn't get my suits to get punished. I'm not punishing my suits. I'm cleaning my suits so I can wear it this Shabbos. I can wear it on Shabbos. Otherwise, I can't wear it on Shabbos because it's dirty. That's what Gehenna is. not a punishment. And after learning in the Sefer Gugulim, Rav Chaim Vital, that I understand all Hashem wants is that that Neshama should come to the wedding and should be with all the other beautiful suits. That's all. That's the whole thing. So if the Neshama can't go into Gehenna to get clean, so it has to come back down to this world, it would much rather get clean than come back into this world. Because this world, you can come back out and come out dirtier than you came in. When you go to the dry cleaner, the suit's going to come out cleaner. But that's not a, that's, Gehenna is a dry cleaner. This world's not the dry cleaner. So sometimes you can come back a lot worse than when you... Right? So a person has to try to make sure that that doesn't happen. Now, we're... Where this week do we see this? So, very, very beautiful. We'll end with this. Oops, wait, okay. We'll end with this. It says, in Pashat Voracious, Ve'elkayin, Hevel hevi gamu b'mcharit sainai, Hevel brought from his carbon. Kayin, Hashem did not, did not take from his carbon. Ve'yiplu panav, he became angry. But Yom Hashem Al-Kai, and why are you angry? And he went out and he killed his brother. He killed Hevel. Okay. But Yom Hashem Al-Kai, Hashem says to Kai, Hey Hevel Achicha, where's your brother? Famous saying, right? Loyadati, I don't know. Hashem Al-Kai, am I my brother's keeper? I have no idea where he is. Hashem said, really, you don't know where he is? But Yom Hashem said, Me'asisa, what did you do? Kol demei Achicha, to akim elayim in ha'adama. Your brother's voice is crying to me from the ground. Whatever that means. He was dead. How was he crying? But whatever that means. He's crying to me from the ground. And now, listen carefully to the words. The ground should be cursed that opened up its mouth. That opened up its mouth to accept the blood from your brothers. Okay. Now, this week's Pasha, in Pasha's Kairach, it happened again. The, ma- the mouth of the earth opened up and swallowed Korach. And it uses the same words. It says, there's so much in Korach to talk about. Hashem said, go away from it. And the, the earth opened up its mouth. And it swallowed them. Okay? Now, here it says the earth opened up its mouth. And here it says the earth opened up its mouth. Now, you need to know that it wasn't an earthquake. And it wasn't a volcano. And it wasn't anything like that. Because what happens in a volcano is when the earth opens up, something comes out. Lava. What happens in a geyser when the earth opens up? Hot springs. Water. Geysers. Right? Here, nothing came out. The earth opened up a mouth, like two lips, opened up, swallowed in, and closed. There was no earthquake. There was no ground shake. There's no ground shake. It doesn't say in the Torah, the ground shook. And nothing, when the earth opened up, nothing came out. So this was a new Bria. As Moshe said, it will have to be a new Bria. Now, there's a mission in Pirkei Avos, and the mission in Pirkei Avos in the fifth parak says there were ten things created Ben Ashmash with the Arab Shabbos, the last minute Arab Shabbos. Pia Asan, the mouth of the donkey, and Pasha's Balak. And Pia Aretz. 
So the mouth of this earth, this weird creation where the, there's like lips in the ground that opens up and swallows someone, this was created the last second before Shabbos. But the mission says there was one mouth created before Shabbos. But here we see two mouths. We see one by Noah, one by Cain and Havel, swallowed up. And we see by Karach. How could that be? Mishnah says there's only one mouth. So the Medrash says it was the same mouth. That where Havel got killed and the earth swallowed up his blood was the same place where Karach got killed and Karach was swallowed up. Not only that, listen carefully. When you come back in Gilgal to fix the Tikkun, to fix what you did wrong the last time, it has to be the exact same situation. Otherwise, it's not fair. Whether you fail or pass, well, it was different than last time. You can't compare. So it's the exact, has to be done, it has to be in the exact same place, the exact same place, with the exact same type or Avera, but the outcome is up to you. What was the fight between Cain and Hevel? Why did Cain kill Hevel? Because Cain was jealous of Hevel. Why was Cain jealous of Hevel? Because Hevel's carbon that he brought was accepted by God, and his carbon was not. What's the fight between Korach, and who says Korach was a Gilgal of Cain, and Moshe was a Gilgal of Hevel? What was the fight? Korach said, why does Aaron's only carbon being accepted? Our Karbanas, we can bring Kulam Kedoshim. We can also bring Karbanas. The same jealousy, the same fight that Cain had with Hevel, um, um, what's it called, had with um, Boa, um, what's it called, Korach had with Moshe Rabbeinu. The same exact thing. So Moshe Rabbeinu said, okay, you want to do this again? You want to do this again? No problem. Bring your carbon. We'll do what we did last time. You bring a carbon. And Hevel will bring a carbon. And me and Aaron will bring a carbon. And we'll see if you were right last time, if you were right this time. What happens? The same thing that happened last time. The earth opens up its mouth in the same place. Here comes the, big, the biggest point of all. What's Karach's punishment? He gets swallowed into the earth. The Gemara says there was an Arab walking in the desert. And he heard from the ground a voice saying, Moshe Emes v'Sarasa Emes. So the Gemara brings down that Karach for his whole forever, to eternity, he's all the way down there, and he's screaming, Moshe Emes v'Teres Emes. I was wrong, Moshe's right. So his call, his voice, is coming from where? From the earth. Last time, in Pasha's Bereshis, when it had Cain and Hevel, what did HaKadosh Baruch Hu say? Hashem said, So what did you do? Kol demei achicha the cries of the voice of your brother is coming from the earth. So Hashem said, that's what you caused last time. Now I gave you a chance to correct it and you didn't. Now you, Mida Mida, your voice will come crying from the earth like Hevel's voice, like, like Hevel's voice was crying from the earth that you killed. Exactly in the same situation, exactly in the same place, exactly the same Sahara, and he failed again. Had he passed it, he would have fixed what happened. And he failed again. And that's what, when a person goes through a tikkun in a Gilgal, he always ends up, that's what they call, um, when you see somebody that you, that you think you've seen before, in English there's a word for it, um, what do you call it? Deja vu. Deja vu. Right, do you meet this person? Deja vu is a situation. Okay, whatever, I'm sorry. So, whatever, but, so, so, we, as when we're struggling with something that we're having a very hard time overcoming, it's usually part of that. But that is a tikkun that Hashem is giving us. It's the cleaners. It's He's giving us a chance to fix it. The worst thing that a person can do would be to throw that chance back at him. So when you're struggling with something or you know to go off the derech, that is not going to fix anything. Just the opposite. So we have to understand that he created a world and if you learn anything in biology or chemistry or physics he created a world with consequence there's many different there's an order in the world and 1 plus 1 equals 2 and there's certain things in the chemistry ions whatever you call that what does that call the we have all the different chemicals the periodic table the periodic table is a very finite thing. The periodic table is a very finite thing. Mathematics is a very finite thing. Gravity is a very finite thing. 
He created a world with rules. There are, there are physical rules, emotional rules, and spiritual rules. There are rules in this world. And rules cause consequence. Rules equals consequence. And therefore, we have to realize that whatever we do in this world has a consequence. And the, the Ganeiden and the Ganeiden and Gehenim is just a consequence of what we're doing. It's not, it's not what we're doing. It's the consequence of what we're doing. And his love for us is unconditional because as much as it hurts Hashem to watch sometimes that we're in pain to get where we're going, but if he knows that the end game, that, 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 that Yisurim, that pain, will end up bringing that neshama to fruition, it's not always, you know, it's not always the popular decision. Not always what God does is, is popular. But it's not about being popular. It's about doing the right thing. And we're supposed to, that's the example that we're supposed to learn. It's not always about everyone loving you because of what you're telling them to do. Sometimes the truth hurts. And sometimes the truth, many times, the truth is not popular. And these parishes are the parishes of the people that Chor, by, by the Egel, he got up, they killed him. Um, Kalev, Yoshua got up, they tried to kill him. Moshe Rabbeinu here, in this week's parasha, after everything, right? The Jews were just kept complaining, kept complaining. Why did you do this? Why did you take us out of Mitzrayim? And even after they got swallowed up the next day, right? The next day, the Jews are complaining again, right? Shabbeinu wasn't popular. I hate to tell you this, everyone. No, he wasn't. If you look at the end, at the end of, um, he wasn't popular. Aaron HaKoyen was popular, Rashi says. Aaron HaKoyen, when he died, the women cried. The women, the women mourned. When Moshe Rabbeinu died, they didn't. Rashi says it because, because when, when Aaron died, he was the one that made peace and he was very nice and he was very soft and he was very sweet and he made peace between husbands and wives. So they really, they really cried. But by Moshe Rabbeinu, they did not cry. Yeah, you know, we do the Rashi. Imagine that Moshe Rabbeinu, he did everything for us. So many times we were supposed to be destroyed. He did everything for us. There was no one that loved Christ besides God that loved Christ more than Moshe Rabbeinu, right? And you think that when he dies, you know, anyone today who dies, they get up and they make speeches for hours. You're sitting there by the Leviah. They're talking, they're giving a, uh, a eulogy like you never heard, right? So you would think Moshe Rabbeinu took time to try him. Chris Yamsuf saved us a hundred times from being destroyed by Hashem. Prayed, put his life on the line, right? Yeah, you know, you want, you want to hear his whole eulogy? They cried for 30 days. And they stopped crying. Says Rashi, Only the men were crying. Since Aaron made peace, the whole base is strong. Here it doesn't say the whole base is strong. What does it say about, about what's his eulogy? Anyone here know his eulogy? There is no eulogy. There's no eulogy about Moshe Rabbeinu. It doesn't say, Vayamas Moshe, who did Kriyas Yamsuf, and all. It says, Vayamas Moshe, Moshe, Eved Hashem, Be'eretz Mo'av Al Pi Hashem. That's it. Moshe died, the servant of Hashem, in the land of Moab, at the Al Pi Hashem, through the Shikah. Pe'al pe. No eulogy. What's going on here? How could it be that our leader, how could no one ever ask this question? Our leader died, Moshe Rabbeinu, the end. It's the end of the Zaysa Bracha, the end of the Torah, right? He's been around since Shmos. And Moshe died, who took us out of Mitzrayim, who split the Yamsuf, who saved us, protected us, who brought the, who brought the, uh, the Dibros from Harsinai, who was in Shemayim for 40 days. Oh, we could give a nice eulogy. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Except two words. Eved Hashem. The greatest compliment was calling Moshe an Eved Hashem. Because an Eved doesn't do things that are popular. An Eved works for his master. He does things that are popular and he things that are not popular. He tells people, I'm sorry, my master is sleeping, you cannot come in, but I have an emergency, I'm sorry, I work for him, and nobody can come in. You, who do you think you are? What do you think you are? An Eved shine, cleans the toilets, and he shines the crown of the king. An Eved comes in and out all the time. The Eved, right, you, you, you can go to the biggest Rebbe, you can't get in, 
But the, the maid, she's in the room all the time because she's cleaning the room. She gets in and out. She goes in and out. You want to get in, you can't get in. And then, right, the Eved goes in and out because the Eved does everything. So the biggest compliment for Moshe Rabbeinu is not that he did the big things, that everyone's like, wow, we love this guy. Took us out of a triumph. Yamsuf. Wow. That's people pleasers. Eben Hashem. He did everything. The stuff that people liked and the stuff that people didn't like. It didn't make a difference because when it's unconditional love, it's not about what people think. It's unconditional love for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. May we all be zaycha to reach that level in our emotional state to serve God even sometimes when serving Hashem and standing up for Hashem isn't popular. Because the reward for that is what happened to Pinchas ben Allah ben Arakayin is to become an Elio Anavi. Is to become Shalem. Hashem said, we see Shalem. Shalem? Shalem? He had a we see Shalem? What is a person who is whole? A person who is whole is a person who serves Hashem whether it's popular or whether people are making fun of them. Who do you think you became? What are you? Why are you wearing a dress that's so long? You became, right? It's not popular. My friends don't like it. It doesn't matter. It has nothing to do with it. Shalei means that I'm whole, whether people like it or they don't like it. If I'm doing the right thing, it's not about being popular. It's about serving Hashem. May we all have the schus to get to the level of serving Hashem with unconditional love. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.